Welcome back to Views from the Hill. It's been a long time since I've recorded a podcast. I think it's been 30 days. Lots happened that 30 days. It might be longer than 30 days, honestly. I don't know the exact count from December 20th to January the 10th, but here we are. After a crazy offseason in Arkansas Razorback football, we are not in the worst place possible. We really aren't. I mean, at the end of the season... After the Missouri game, hell, even after the the Liberty Bowl, the sky was falling. Keetron Jackson transferred. Miles Slusher transferred. Trey Knox, who everyone loved and adored, transferred. Barry Odom left to be the defense or to be the head coach at UNLV. Bob Petrino was now the the offensive coordinator at Texas A&M. Hugh Freeze is now the head coach at Auburn. It just seemed like everything was not going Arkansas's way. Jalen Catalan hit the transfer portal. But as time unfolded, we learned that Trey Knox, the guy with the big smile, who opened, who, who welcomed Arkansas with open arms, and Arkansas welcomed him back with open arms. He stuck it out through the through the tough times. He celebrated the good times. Apparently he he actually became a, a cancer in the locker room. Was very frustrated with play calling. Very, very frustrated with his usage at tight end, his lack of targets, and just voice that internally. And when you're a leader, a vocal leader, and someone that leads by example like he was, the younger guys take up after it. They start to develop those toxic habits that you have. They start to follow in your footsteps. You start to complain to Jamil Walker, the strength and conditioning coach, and all they do is bitch and moan. And look where it got Jamil. Look where it got Dow Loggins. Look where it got Trey Knox. Look where it got Miles Slusher. All the toxicity, get the hell out of our program. Because no matter what people think, we ended the season on somewhat of a positive note. For why that is, we'll get to that later on in the episode. But for just to go into it a little bit, for a letdown of a regular season as it was, being 6-6 six and six after having 10-2 and two projections and hopes, we went into the Liberty Bowl against a Kansas team that was quite literally playing for their Super Bowl. It was their best. It was their best football season they had had since 2008. It had been over over 12 years. It had been, I believe it had been 14 years since they last had a winning season. They had the opportunity to do it against us, and we walked in there with like 48 scholarship players, and we still beat them. We still hung 53 points on them. We still pulled it out in triple overtime dub. I don't care if we were losing, or excuse me, if we were winning by 20-something points. The refs were against us as well. I mean, by God, Helen Keller could have seen that Matt Lander's arm was on the ground on that fumble. If they rule that correctly and rule him down, overtime doesn't happen, we win by double digits, and no one complains. But then, people start to freak out because Kendall Bros might leave. Here comes Mississippi State. They want to offer him close to $2 million. But hold on. 
Yeah, I thought everyone hated Kendall Bryles. I thought everyone hated his play calling. Sure, yeah, it was questionable sometimes. But look at the last four years under Sam, or three years under Sam Pittman. What has been good? What has been good for us has been our defense. We have, you've never looked at a Sam Pittman coached football team at Arkansas and say, wow, the defense is the reason that team is good. Not one time. It's only been the offense. It really has. We've run the ball well. We throw the ball well. K.J. Jefferson, dog. Rocky Sanders, dog. I mean, yeah, we have Drew Sanders on defense. That's great. That's one of 11. Our special team sucks. Our defense hasn't been good. No matter no matter if they play a good, a good game every now and then, the defense still collectively sucked. So now, with Barry Odom gone, you bring in Travis Williams. Who does he bring with them? Marcus Woodson, the DB coach at Florida State. Some might be like, oh, Florida State's in the ACC. They don't have good defense. Well, Marcus Woodson is the sole purpose for why Florida State was fifth in the country in pass defense. We were in the 120s. If you don't think that's an upgrade, you're on crack. We had an upgrade on all, all across the board on defense. Marcus Woodson, Travis Williams, a defensive coordinator. Dominique Bowman is out of there. We're going to ha- hire a new DB coach. We're going to hire a new linebacker coach. And Schreier left. Shout out Schreier. That dude was a great linebacker coach. I wish him nothing but the best. But Hawk football is not in a bad place. Averaging, excuse me, we had 16 wins over the last two years of two bowl wins. And no matter how disappointing the regular season was, like I just said, we ended it on a positive note, which is exactly what you need to do heading into the offseason. Yes, there's still some work to be done in the transfer portal. Yes, we still have 11 scholarships remaining to give out to transfer portal prospects. And we're going to get some more. We have a lot of kids visiting. We have we The national championship just concluded, so I'm sure there's going to be some people hitting the portal from both those teams. That's fine. I'll take some more guys from Georgia. I'll take some more guys from Bama. Give me Isaac Tesla. That boy is nice. That's a white OBJ. Calling it right now. But regardless, Hawk football is not in near as bad of a place as most people think it is. It's really not. I'm excited for the 2023 season. I was a little bit off on my projection for the 2022 season, but that's why they're called projections. Now, for the 2023 season, we really won't get into it probably until spring ball rolls around. So from now on, the episodes going forward are mainly going to be focused on spring sports basketball, baseball, and softball. Welcome back to Views from the Hill, episode 18. In this podcast, we provide all information vital to the greatest collegiate athletic program in the country. Top two, not two. In this podcast, we also preview and recap weekly matchups, provide recruiting updates, and updates on professional hogs across whatever sport it is that you may follow. Basketball season's in full swing. And yes, the hogs, I never thought I'd say this. Offensively, we are struggling. We are struggling big time. We're one and two in conference play with a tough loss on the road at LSU, a tough loss on the road against Auburn at home. Had a solid win against Mizzou at home, but we got the Crimson Tide tomorrow night on Wednesday in Bud Walton Arena. I think we can win. I really do. I think we can win handily as well. Alabama is about one of the hottest teams in the country as you can as you can get right now. I mean, Alabama is, I believe, I, let's see. 
Alabama's 13-2 overall, 3-0 in conference play. They're on a four-game win streak, and they have four quad one wins. This is a fantastic opportunity to get another ranked win at home. A great win at home. And this has become a rivalry between us and Alabama that wasn't really a rivalry about four years ago. Up until Eric Musselman and Nate Oates both got to Alabama, this game wasn't a rivalry at all. But now that both teams are, are over the last four years have been national programs in terms of being consistently being top, both teams being seated in the top four in the SEC or in the NCAA tournament, and both teams being two of the top four teams in the SEC year in and year out, both these games have a lot of meaning to them. Or these games that, you know, the home and away games we play with Alabama. Last year, we lost by a point. I mean, that was a tough loss. We should have won. There were some calls that didn't go our way. It was after the Auburn game when we took them down when they were number one. It was a trap game. The year before, they blew us out. Then we blew them out. So, it's been a great game no matter what. Alabama's long. They play fast. They can shoot the ball well. They drive well. They have a kind of a Mike D'Antoni-like offense to them where they don't take any mid-range shots. They don't take tough mid-range jumpers. It's either going to be... It's a spread them out, dribble drive. They have, they run a lot of pick and rolls. They shoot a lot of threes or a high volume shooting team. It's going to be a tough game tomorrow night in Bud Walton, but I believe we can do it. I really do believe we can do it, and I think we can do it easily. Yes, we've had some struggles offensively. Yes, we've struggled to shoot the ball from three. Yes, we can't hit a effing free throw to save our life. But no matter how bad the game was at Auburn, I know I can't believe I'm saying this, but we still only lost by 13. When you score 59 points in the game, you're not going to beat many people. But our defense is going to keep us in every single game. And we got in foul trouble at Auburn on the road, which isn't which isn't uncommon. But tomorrow night, Bud Walton, crowd's going to be rocking. The boys going to be ready to go. Eric Musselman is great off of losses. Because we think about it, guys, we don't lose much. So the times we do lose, we bounce back pretty well. With Eric Musselman and his team's what we've seen over the last two years, there's one thing we've learned. You have to be patient no matter what. You have to be patient because once he gets a grip on this team and what they can do, this is the most talented team he's ever had. No telling where we can take this thing. But there's a lot of questions surrounding the program right now. What's the deal with Nick Smith Jr.? When is it time to hit the panic button? Is Joseph Pinion the answer to our shooting issues? I don't know. Only time will tell. But I believe the Hawks can get it done tomorrow. How we're going to do that, I guess we'll find out. All righty, previewing the fourth-ranked Alabama Crimson Tide. It's a big one tomorrow in Bud Walton Arena. Massive games. Could be a madhouse. Absolute madhouse tomorrow night. I mean, this is one of the bigger home matchups we had all season. I know Missouri was pretty big. This is big, though. This is really big. Alabama, like we said, is fourth in the country, 13-2, 3-0 in the SEC. They also have the seventh hardest strength of schedule in the country, and their average margin of victory is 13 points. The only two teams they've lost to all year have been Gonzaga and UConn. UConn is now sixth in the country, and Gonzaga's eighth. I mean, it's too tough, and it's not like they get blown out. They were tough losses. They have seven, 
seven wins over quad one and quad two teams. I think Kansas has more with nine. I know I said they were tied earlier. I was wrong on that, and I apologize. But in this deep dive into the Alabama Crimson Top, we're going to take a look at their lineup and then the five keys to victory for the Arkansas Razorbacks tomorrow night in Bud Walton. So for who to look for for Alabama, Mark Sears, Jaden Bradley, Brandon Miller, Noah Clowney, and Charles Bediaco, I believe that's how you say his last name. Those are going to be the projected starting five. The, the main name y'all are going to go, y'all are going to know off the bench is Javon Quinterly, Villanova transfer. Arkansas played against him the past two years. Arkansas starting lineup could be subject to change, but we all know the starters. AB, probably Devo, Ricky Council, Jordan Walsh, Makai Mitchell. I know Kamani's ass ain't starting, and Pinion probably won't start. But one of the main matchups to look for is going to be who's going to guard Brandon Miller. Brandon Miller is an extremely talented freshman for the Alabama Crimson Tide. He's 6'9", averages 19 points per game, shoots 30, 43% from the field, 44% from three, averages nine boards a game, has 29 assists on the season, 34 turnovers. Sure, he's subject to, to some turnovers, but that brother can score. He's a projected top. He's a projected first-round pick, similar to some of the guys we have on our team. It's going to be interesting to see who guards him because he's taller than four of our starters. It's going to be a big team. This team, this Alabama team, is going to match up with us very well length-wise, athleticism-wise, and they're very, very fast. They will probably zone us. I mean, for how good both teams are defensively, we do, we. I'm glad the Hogs statistically turn turn teams over more than Alabama does, but. We can't get the we can't play sloppy offense and turn the ball over to Alabama or they're going to score on us pretty quick. They love to get out and run in transition. But Eric Musselman and Nate Oates, you know, Nate Oates being the coach, I believe at Buffalo when they knocked off, they were the 13 seed and they beat the four seed Arizona Wildcats and first round of the NCAA tournament. And he he obviously had the same style of offense at at Buffalo they does now and they shoot a lot of threes. They get downhill pretty quickly. I mean, they can score a lot. But some things to note about this matchup. Let's see. For Arkansas and Alabama, there's five things we need to watch for tomorrow. I know we kind of touched a little snippet on Brandon Miller, but just some of the big things that we know we need to do in order to win before we dive into the five things. So watch for tomorrow. Free throws. Got to hit free throws. I mean, I think... Anthony Black was 13 of 16 from the foul line against Auburn. The rest of the team was 6 of 16. That's terrible. That is so many points you just left on the board. I think, quick math, that's 19 of 32. 13 points on the board. How many points to lose by? 13. Missed a crap ton of layups. Turned the ball over a lot. Defense kept us in that game, but they zoned us. There's almost worse than Missouri's. But the only reason we found a way to beat Missouri's is because we were able to shoot the ball a little bit. We were able to... I mean, we were able to hurt their zone, kick, kicking the ball at the pinion. A.B. hit a three. Council hit a couple threes. And another thing is that we attacked the zone. We set a high ball screen on the on the top zone defender who's guarding the ball. We got the ball to the high post. The easiest way to beat a zone, move the ball quick, don't let it stick, and get the ball to the middle. Jordan Walsh is the only guy who needs to be playing in the middle. Maybe Council. I'd be good with Council. But Kamani does nothing at the high post. Makai Mitchell does nothing at the high post. Jordan Walsh gives you the shooting ability there. Regardless, before I start rambling, quick couple things of note 
for tomorrow night. Free throws, turnovers, shooting. Those are three things we have to improve on from the Auburn game in order to have a chance. But for the five things to watch for tomorrow night, first, it's going to be, we're going to see a lot of, of future pros all on full display. On 24-7 sports, there's something called the draftables. And Arkansas, fully healthy, as five. Trayvon Brazil, Nick Smith, Anthony Black, Ricky Council, Jordan Walsh. Those are our five. But then you add, or obviously you take away, sorry, Trevor Brazil and Nick Smith. We still have three. They have two of them. They have Brandon Miller, who we just talked about. He's going to be the best player, probably the best prospect we've seen all year. And then Nick, or and then Noah Clowney, who is a forward for Alabama. He's a true freshman. He's shooting up the draft boards as well. There's going to be a lot of talent on display on tomorrow night. It's going to be really, really, really fun to watch. The second thing is fouls and free throws. I know we just mentioned free throws, but the last time Alabama visited Bud Walton Arena, Arkansas had the free throw advantage of 43 free throws to eight free throws for Alabama. We got them in some serious foul trouble. Obviously, it was a main teller in that game. We kicked their ass. Arkansas would definitely love a similar outcome on Wednesday night as compared to when they came to when the tie came to town in 2020. But Arkansas is doing a very good job, as most Arab Muslim teams do, of getting to the free throw line. Now for free throw percentage, it's not up to par as to what it needs to be and what it has been in the past. What hurts us is that Alabama, while Arkansas struggles getting into foul trouble, Alabama is second in the SEC in free throw attempts. So the the more we can avoid foul trouble, the better, or else they're going to live at the line. They shoot free throws very well. It's one of the main reasons Auburn beat us. Auburn didn't miss many free throws. All right, the third thing. Third thing to watch for, turnovers and tempo. Alabama, like we've talked about, they play very, very fast. So a track meet doesn't play well into our favor. But I know Arkansas does have the ability to play well in the open floor and in transition. But while I I think we're more successful in transition than we are in the half court, we're going to have to find that balance of being able to execute in the half court tomorrow and know when to push the ball in the open floor in transition. And that can come in a variety of ways. But ideally... Arkansas is going to need to get back to our non-conference ways of how we generated steals. We're very disruptive on the defensive end in terms of generating turnovers against teams. We need to do that same thing tomorrow night against an Alabama team that is susceptible to turn the basketball over. On the flip side, Bama doesn't turn the ball over a whole lot, kind of like we talked about. But we don't need to make them look like a team that's good at forcing turnovers. They're going to be long. They're going to be active. But they don't turn the ball over a whole lot. We don't need to help them out with that. The fourth thing to watch for, shooting struggles. I know we've talked about from the free throw line. Now we're going to talk about the three-point line. Bama runs a Mike D'Antoni offense, similar to what he ran in Houston with Harden, what he's run at other NBA teams that he's coached. They essentially live and die by the three. I mean, this team absolutely lets those things fly. They lead the SEC in makes at 148 and attempts at 424. Anyone who's watched Arkansas, I mean, you're pretty aware. We struggle from beyond the arc. We really, really struggle from beyond the arc. I think we made one three last game. But just to put things into context, we rank last in the SEC in terms of makes in 71 and last in attempts at 247 and last in percentage at 28%. Bama almost has as many makes from beyond the arc as we do attempts. 
yeah, I mean, that's just a tale of teams playing two different two different types of basketball. Arkansas does, does defend the three really well. We defend the three at a very, very high level. But that poses a question. Can we find a way to meet somewhere in the middle? Can we find a way to neutralize what is a clear advantage for, for Alabama? If we can stifle their offensive attack in terms of spreading the ball around the four, trying to get downhill, trying to hit threes, then we're going to give ourselves a very, very, very good chance to win. Now, for the fifth and final thing to watch for is paint production. Arkansas, any Eric Musselman team, very good at getting the ball in the paint. Very, very good, especially this team. But we can't really shoot at all. And I know in, in years past, we've kind of figured out ways to shoot and figured out guys that we can go to to hit open threes. But we're going to get zoned more. This team is going to get zoned more than any Eric Musselman team has in the past. We know Arkansas has an emphasis of basket cutting and getting finding different ways to get into the lane outside of just dribble drive and something else we've we've this team especially excels at is staying aggressive on the offensive glass and because of that we're second in SEC I believe in terms of offensive rebounds but the strength of this team we all know you know I know my my dog catch knows she's scratching my chair right now the strength of this team is getting the ball downhill getting the ball towards the rim, attacking the rim as much as possible. So also poses the question, we were taken out of our game by Auburn. Auburn zoned us. We took a lot more threes than we ever are used to taking. What Auburn did a good job at is that they really made us extend our offense. We didn't move the ball very well. The ball stuck with guys a lot. They did a good job of keying on the one shooter that came into the game with Joseph Pinion. That's another thing I believe why – that's another reason I believe losing Trevor Brazil hurts so bad is because, yes, he's great defensively. Yes, he's great in the open four. He's great in the paint. But that guy wasn't afraid to shoot a three at all. Not one time. I mean, if he was open, he'd shoot it. The one problem with us is that whenever we do have a semi-open look from three, we're very hesitant to let it fly. Teams are going to take note of that. They're going to let us shoot. Just let the thing fly. They're going to go, and eventually you got the ability to make the three. That's why I talked about in an earlier epi- or in an earlier pod. I talked about how even though we might not have the confidence to shoot threes right now, we need to. We have to develop that confidence. All it takes is seeing a couple go in. You're never going to know if they go in if you don't shoot them. But the question is raised about paint production. Can Arkansas get back to the business we know we're good at when it comes to piling up paint points and second chance opportunities and knocking down free throws, getting to the free throw line after how much we struggled at Auburn. We're really going to have to bounce back tomorrow night. It's not going to be easy. Alabama's long. They're very, very athletic. They're seventh nationally in two-point percentage, and they're third in the SEC in blocks. Now, for how we're going to do it tomorrow night, the X factor to the hog success, we're going to get to later on in the episode. Welcoming back to the show, a familiar face, a familiar voice, someone you all probably have a story about. It's Mr. Joseph Richardson. Joey, what's popping? How we doing? Good to be back. Uh, Happy New Year. Uh, Excited for 2023. All things Razorback Sports. So good to be back on. Of course. Of course. It's a fax and no typewriter. All right. 
So, Joe, a lot, a lot of, a lot of stuff has happened since the last time you were on the pod, last time since I recorded the podcast, and a couple of those things being coaching changes, portal exits, you know, tra- new transfers possibly coming in after the end to the regular season, and then the, you know, what all happened to the bowl game. Overall, would you say that we have good or bad momentum? heading into the off season better than you thought or worse than you thought? I I think it's good momentum. Uh, If we would have lost the bowl game, I definitely don't think it would have been good momentum, but we won the bowl game. Um, You know, like no matter what's happening off the field with the players exiting uh, the program to go to different destinations, or even a coach makes a decision to go to a different university, you know, winning cures all. I mean, you've seen it across college sports, professional sports, et cetera. Winning covers up a lot of bumps and bruises um, along the way. So by winning a game, you know, you have momentum going into the off season, et cetera. So yeah, I mean like winning, winning cures everything. So losing some kids to the portal, it is what it is with how the way the collegiate athletics is set up now. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think our momentum going into the off season is in good shape. Excited to see, you know, this, what these kids look like coming into the spring ball with a new, you know, strength and conditioning coach. There's one thing that Pittman talked a lot about at the end of the year was we got beat up physically. And so made a change there. So I'm excited to see how these kids respond to the new strength and conditioning coach, but Overall, even with the coaching changes and portal departures, uh, I think we're in a good spot moving forward, and hopefully we can continue this positive momentum with uh, kids that we're able to bring in. Yeah, I was I, w- I mentioned a little bit earlier in the episode about how things, sounded, things kind of seemed to be sp- not spiraling out of control, but things didn't look great. Honestly, after the Mizzou game, you had Slusher at the portal, then Trey Knox and Keytron, and then you know, cattle on the leaves. Those are four names that were, well, maybe three of the four, if you don't include Keyshawn, were a big part of the team last year, this year, year before. So all have played significant parts at some point in their career. But, you know, with those guys exiting, I mean, I knew I knew we'd probably have a decent amount of guys transferring out, but those are the four that really stink to lose to the portal. But in terms of cattle on, I'd say – you know, people are saying like, you know, he's even I said it. I mean, I the whole two hundred fifty thousand dollar NIL thing he was asking for, would that be something that you would have paid him to stay, if it meant that we get that caliber of talent on the back end with the new coach and Marcus Woodson, who we'll get to in a second, that's so good in pass defense, or would you let him walk like Pittman did? I think the first thing is like. Although there could have been, you know, like we don't know how accurate the reports are of $250,000. Like, I, I think that if that is true, it is what it is. And yeah, I mean, like, I would have loved to have paid, like, you know, I would have loved for people to step up and the university step up to try to pay a guy like that. I mean, when he's on the field, he's terrific. And he was a captain of your team. He was a great kid from what all accounts off the field. Um, so, yeah, I mean, of course it'd be great to have a guy like that. But, at the same time, like, you know, he hasn't been available a ton over the last two years. And, you know, maybe, like, maybe he just wanted a fresh start. Like, this whole <clears throat> concept of everyone just wants, you know, there, there's reports out there for it seems like a lot of players that 
why they jump into the portal. Like it very well could be that he just wanted to get a fresh start that like, it just was not the right situation for him moving forward. Maybe something was going on in his family. He wanted to be closer to home. You know, like we don't really know, but uh, you know, I, I wish we would have paid him. He's a great player and he, you know, was really good when he was on the field, but he was hurt. So I can understand why there were hesitations from people within the NIL program to want to fork over $250,000. That is in fact true. When your return on investment is pretty minimal um, over the last couple of years. So I get it from, from the side of people that would be dishing up the money, um, why they didn't do it. But, yeah, I mean, it would be nice to keep an all-American caliber player because there's not a lot of those players that are coming through Arkansas all the time. Right, yeah. And and with, going on the NIL question, would you say that – I guess I know me and you don't really know the details, but how would you say that our NIL – department just from a broad perspective compares to other sec schools like i know in basketball we're doing pretty well because the hunts are mainly driving everything but do you think we're lacking in that department or that we need to step up from just things that i've heard i kind of hear that we're behind in the nil department but that was also you know the things i've heard that was quite a while ago maybe half a year ago things have probably picked up since then but do you believe we're behind what do we need to do to get to you know, what do we need to do to get to where our NIL department is among the best or uh, what are your thoughts? So I think there's kind of two things behind it. I think we're ahead in some areas and behind in others. I think we're ahead with how we got ahead. Like, I think that we're ahead with how we approached this when it initially got signed in by the NCAA a few years back when we created this one NIL program with advisors on campus and people there to kind of guide the student athletes like through this journey that's very unknown. So I think that we're ahead in that department. Where I think we're behind is having a true collective, which by the NCAA standards is technically illegal. But if you look across the landscape of college athletics, most big time schools have a true collective, like Old Miss has the Grove Collection, Alabama has multiple. I think the one, the biggest one is like the Tuscaloosa fund. Texas A&M has a very, you know, well-renowned collective that people just feed money into. And I think that's important for, for a number of reasons. One, the first thing is, is like to be like a true NIL sponsor through the university. Like you have to go through like kind of like a background check of your organization. Like if you own a small business, like you have to go through like a true like background check, submitting paperwork, making sure that you're legit you know, a collective can be set up in different ways. Like you can almost have like a subscription program with a collective where you basically send like X amount of dollars a month to, you know, the university athletics program as a whole, or it goes to different programs. You can select a program. So like, I think that's one area that we really can improve is like almost just going like under the table and creating, like creating the Fayetteville collective or the, you know, the Arkansas collective, et cetera, and creating something where people can basically buy in. If you want to donate a hundred dollars a month to the football program for company, you know, for people like us too, that don't own our own companies. Like, I think that would be a very beneficial. It's almost like the Razorback foundation, but for NIL, just allowing people to donate any amount of money that they want to. And then the people that are heading that and running that can distribute the funds the way that they need to, to be able to get the players to stay not only on campus, but hopefully bring ones on campus as well. Right. Yeah. I've, I've heard of the Ole Miss collective. Obviously you hear of all the news about Texas A&M essentially paying kids, wherever the crap they want. So 
I agree. I, I feel like we were one of the first on the scene, but as terms of how we've continued to improve in that department, I feel like that's to be determined. I feel like just from a broad perspective, there are some things you can do, you know, maybe upping the, upping the donation from the alumni, young alumni association, maybe, you know, with the Razorback foundation, each, each new member that joins the Razorback foundation, you have them donate X amount of dollars. It doesn't have to be a ton, but the more people that join the Razorback Foundation, the more money gets put in that pot. Obviously, I feel like we're not lacking in the department in terms of funds-wise when you when you hear the numbers that get thrown around about how much, you know, K.J. Jefferson gets paid and things like that. So, next question, Marcus Woodson, Florida State, co-defensive coordinator. I don't remember us ever having one. I don't know if you can recall when we have when we've had a co-defensive coordinator, but do you think that's going to be a good thing or a bad thing going forward? If I was Travis Williams, I don't know how I'd feel about having a co-defensive coordinator, but I don't know. I'd like to hear your thoughts on what do you think about Marcus Woodson overall as the hire and then the co-defensive coordinator title that I feel like has just been introduced. I think the court, like the the hire itself, was a good hire. I mean, from his track record thus far through his you know young coaching career, is pretty good. I mean, he he turned Florida State around with their secondary last year pretty dramatically and helped them kind of take their defense at least or the back end of their defense take a take a pretty significant step forward um, and really propel them to a much better season. I believe they had nine wins or maybe even 10. Um, they won 10 and, and after the bowl game. 10, yeah. So nine in the regular and 10, and 10 in the post. So, I mean, obviously a good season for Florida state and their back end of their defense was part of that. Um, so, I mean, I think the hire itself on paper looks really good. Um, I'm excited for what he can bring again. When you're, when you're bringing a guy in from a situation like that from Florida state, in you know Tallahassee Florida like you're in a very rich recruiting ground not only in the state of Florida but you know you got Atlanta and Georgia just to your north you got you know Alabama and Mississippi right on the door you got Tennessee just about you know right in that area as well Um, so I mean it's going to be interesting to see how he's able to recruit outside of um, you know the state of Florida and just all of that area in general, since he was so close, you know, this, this, this idea of great recruiters that Arkansas has got is obviously good. Like we want guys that have been able to prove they've been able to recruit and get guys from, um, you know, you know, areas all over the U S but they're coming from schools that to be, to be honest, are just in a better like geographical location than the university of Arkansas and Fayetteville is a terrific city. But like when you're recruiting there for football, you're not next to Atlanta. You're not two hours from Birmingham or like three hours, four hours from Jackson, Mississippi. Like your biggest like metropolitan city is Tulsa and then Kansas city and then St. Louis, Dallas being about five hours. So like, I really hope that this like recruiting guru um, kind of like self get or, you know, given title by fans, like really translates over to a place like Fayetteville. And and I'm not saying that it won't, but like, he's really going to be tested with how good of a salesman he is to, you know, to families, to the kid, because bringing a kid to Fayetteville and getting him to commit there is a lot different than bringing a kid to Tallahassee or an Auburn. Um, It's just a different ball game with, with the amount of kids that are around in the area or or not around in the area. Um, Look, I think the co-defensive piece is I, – I don't have a problem with it personally. Like, I don't care if there's two defensive coordinators. You see 
times and and like the most recent that I can think of was basically two co-offensive coordinators for LSU. Now, Joe Brady, I don't think was given the title of co-offensive coordinator, but he was the passing game coordinator. So like there's two parts of an offense, a running and a passing game. So like Mm -hmm. Joe Brady was essentially the passing game co, you know, co-offensive coordinator. So, I mean, I think it'll work fine. I'm assuming that Pittman probably had this conversation with both gentlemen before that either of them were hired, that this is what I want. And I don't think either of them would agreed to, would have agreed to this situation if they didn't think that they could handle it like professionally and coincide and work in the same kind of space and be able to operate within each of their lanes, but also coincide together. So, I mean, I'm fine with it. Honestly, like none of us really know how it's going to turn out until we start seeing production or lack thereof on the field, probably the first four or five games into the year. But like, I, I don't think it's like really fair to say like, oh, it's not going to work because they're, you know, they have a co-title. Like, I mean, I think it'll be fine until we actually see something. So I'm fine with it. Um, and obviously the production on the field will, will be a telling sign to see how it's truly working and how bought in they got these guys and if they have their kits that they need. Yeah, basically anything from the past three years is an upgrade defensively. When you look at a, when you look at an Arkansas team in the Pittman tenure, to be completely honest, you can't really say our defense is, you know, you can't look at a season and be like, our defense or our record was this because our defense was this. It was our offense. So all those people that wanted Kendall Browse gone, hate his break, play calling, and then Mississippi State comes offering. And next thing you know, everyone wants him back. So when you, when you, when you talked about, I guess, excuse me, whenever you and I were watching the national championship game last night, we were talking about the development of Georgia. You know, they get all these four and five stars, but you really don't ever hear of a bust coming out of Georgia. You even hear about some coming out of Bama, but not Georgia. I just feel like they're so good at player development. That's an area defensively that Arkansas and honestly a lot of other teams across the country lack. And you made a good point about the recruiting geography that that Marcus Woodson, Travis Williams come from. They come from the Auburn area. They come from Florida. UCF is, I think, the biggest school in Florida. So with that being said, in terms of player development, are you, in terms of what you think would make our defense better, do you think it's player development or more so the quantity of kids you can get in via recruiting and just hoping a few of them work out? I think it's actually a third option. Uh, I mean, I, the development of players is obviously crucial at, at any level. I mean, in, in any phase of, you know, athletics, like if you're in high school, you've got to be able to develop to get better and to be able to develop from a high school athlete to a college athlete, like you got to continue to build your body, your mind, et cetera. Personally, like, I think it's more coaching than anything. Like, I think if you have the right guy that can coach and be able to put guys in the right scheme, I think that trumps even being able to develop players because like realistically, if you have a coach that's putting people in the right position, the players are going to develop and get better because they're seeing the game and maybe a light that they hadn't seen before. So I think like the coaching aspect is more important than either. Yeah. You got to have good Jimmy's and Joe's, but like an example is like Jim Knowles, the court, the, the defensive coordinator at Ohio state, like, a lot of people don't know the year before that dude was at Oklahoma state and they had the top 10 defense in the nation. Oklahoma state does not have just a bevy of amazing athletes and recruits flooding into Stillwater. Mm-hmm. That dude put the right players in the right positions. And that's what we need over the last few years. Like 
has Barry Odom done some good things to bring us back somewhat from the ashes? Yeah, but there were so many times that there were just players out of position that we looked just lost on coverages because we simply got out schemed on plays. Like a guy like Jim Knowles, yeah, he, he he's just he's a great mind on defense. He knows what he's doing, and obviously he got to Ohio State and flipped their defense basically overnight and made them a much better defense. Now, obviously, the game against Georgia didn't necessarily show that, but like over the course of the year, if you watch the Buckeyes play, their defense was in significantly better shape. Now, did they have good players? Yeah, of course. But the year before, he was at Oklahoma State, and he had nearly the same type of talent. So, like, I think that if you bring in the right coach and the right person to be able to coach kids that they will develop basically on their own. I think that depth is important anytime in football because it's a physical sport. And we obviously saw last year. Um, But like part of it too, is like, you got to get lucky. Like look at Georgia, man. Like Georgia had like one dude on their defense that like went out for a significant period of time. Granted, it was one of their star linebackers, but like you You wouldn't be able to tell. Yeah. Like you got to get lucky. Like, I mean, that's, that's such an underrated piece of the puzzle that people forget about. Like, look at Alabama last year. They lost their two All-American receivers in, like, back-to-back weeks. Like, people just forget about that. Or, or like, three – in, like, two out of three weeks or something like that. They lost their two best receivers. Like, you got to get lucky sometimes. And last year, Arkansas just got unlucky with the injury bug. Like, there's a lot of luck played into, you know, a, a football season. Like, people just think that it's all about – you got to get the right coach. You got to get this player and that player, which is true. You got to get both of those. Like you got to have a good coach and good players, but you got to get lucky too. I mean, it's like the NCAA tournament basketball. You got to get lucky and try to catch a break with who you play occasionally, but you got to get lucky and hope a guy, you know, doesn't get hurt here. Or, you know, if he gets hurt, it's just a shoulder injury. He's out for two weeks. I mean, when you lose a Catalan out for the year, Slusher gets banged up and was really never himself all year. Ladarius Bishop out for the year. I mean, like those are three pieces that just like that's so unlucky. So I mean, I think luck plays a factor into it too. But I think the coaching aspect is 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 the most important, honestly, in college specifically. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, the the it's hard to it, it's really hard to record a podcast at home when you got a crazy ten month old puppy just wanting to chew everything. I don't know if you can hear him at all, but I mean. No. When it comes to – you talk about luck. You listen to any guy in the NFL talk about what it takes to win a Super Bowl, all of them are going to mention luck. And last year with Arkansas, during the 2021 season, I'm sorry, we won nine games. Outside of Catalan, I can't think of any other significant contributor that got hurt for a prolonged period of time. There, there wasn't one. And then we got lucky with certain things going our way. In those games, we got lucky that AM couldn't move the football in our defense when we didn't have KJ Jefferson. We got lucky that Mississippi State missed a field goal to send it in overtime. We got lucky that we caught LSU at the time we did. You know, we had things go our way last year that didn't this year. And I think because we, since we wildly exceeded any expectation in the 2021 season, it just heightened everything for this season, which is understandable. Which kind of, you know, in the, you know, you couple that with the injury bug and, it leads to it led to a lot of disappointment this season, but all goes back to the point about luck that you made. So, all right, yeah, I mean, like the, just to, to to jump in here real quick, like the Mississippi State game that we played against them, like we didn't put our best foot forward that game. We had plenty of opportunities to make the game closer than what the final score was, but we had five secondary players out that game, and KJ. five, and KJ Jeff. I mean, just looking at the secondary though, five guys in the secondary. You normally have like. 
I don't know, probably 10 guys total maybe on your roster that are playing secondary, 10 to 12 maybe, and you take five of them out that are significant contributors, I think four of them were on the two deep to start the year. I mean, like, you know, we can talk, you can hear coaches all the time, not going to use injuries as an excuse. Well, we're not coaches, we're fans, and injuries are 100% an excuse. So, like, that 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 has to factor in with how good or bad a team is, like, year over year, is how banged up they get throughout the year. And Christ, I mean, we have Simeon Blair back there. That guy couldn't cover Helen Keller. Could, and then Malik Chavis in that game, friggin' radio out there trying to cover someone. I mean, the secondary also last year, out, you know, after certain guys got injured, we were we we just sucked. Ladarius we just Bishop, lost. We just Ladarius lost. Bishop, I I legitimately think doesn't know how to play cornerback, and I hate to dog on the guy, but for someone that could run a sub four three, that guy does a lot of chasing. He does a ton of chasing. Simeon Blair, I don't know how anyone looks at his film and be like, yeah, you know what, we want that guy on our team. So with anyone that we have incoming, it has to be an upgrade in the secondary. Which brings me to my next question. Arkansas has 74 scholarship spots taken up right now. I think when you couple them all, or if you break it down by the numbers, we have 47 scholarship guys that would return 19 high school signees, one high school commitment who hasn't signed yet. He'll sign a late. Seven transfer portal commitments. That leaves us at 74 scholarships taken up, which means we got 11 more to give out to hit the 85-man cap. What would you say are the, are the most glaring needs on both sides of the ball? I'd say seven most glaring needs. What's your biggest need in the portal you need on the offensive side of the ball and defensive side of the ball? On the offensive side of the ball, I think it's offensive tackle. I mean, you lose both of your tackles, both of which were fifth or sixth-year senior. Um, We have some young guys that are potentially going to be all-stars at both of those positions, but I'm not particularly thrilled to know that potentially, like, in a Marion Harris or Andrew Chambly, who would both be redshirt freshmen, would be potentially protecting KJ's right and left side. Now, I know that – uh, and Marion Harris played guard in the bowl game, but ultimately I think he would probably transition to a tackle more than likely. So I think offensive tackle is a major need because both of our returners that we'll have between Limmer and uh, uh, Bo Limmer and uh, Brady Latham will both play center and guard. I don't think, I don't think either one of those guys would play tackle. I know one of them would play center. So like you got to find another guard, and probably two tackles and that Josh Braun kid is a guard so maybe you have your interior taken care of I think you need to go get another offensive tackle to be able to help boost or you know boost your depth you got some guy with some serious playing time because like I mean realistically like uh, behind you know our tackles last year like behind you know which behind Luke Jones and Dalton Wagner you had um you had guys that didn't have much experience and it showed against LSU when Dalton Wagner was out and Tykeus Crawford just wasn't going to be able to play. So like, if that tells you anything, and look, I'm not going to dog on him. He was playing against Harold Perkins, who's an all American. So like he was playing against one of the best players in the country. It's center blocks for feet. I mean, yeah, you know, Harold (laughs) Perkins is great and all, but I mean, at least touch the dude. He ain't touch him. Yeah. I mean, your most valuable, like you got to protect your most valuable asset on your team. 
And realistically, your most valuable asset is KJ Jefferson. How do you protect him? You get big, strong, physical offensive linemen. So I think that getting another offensive tackle will be big. And I mean, the, the next has got to be defense. I think we've already gotten one linebacker, which is good. So now we have, you know, probably three to four guys that we'd feel comfortable rotating in and out with the, with the guys that we have on our roster and the one that we're bringing in. And I think if we got one more linebacker, we'd be fine. But I, I think we need defensive tackles. Um, you know, we lose a lot from the defensive tackle position, not only with guys graduating, but guys going pro, leaving the program, et cetera you got to get some guys inside to be able to stop the run. So I think the two biggest needs is offensive tackle and defensive tackle. You, I mean, you know, to be able to find another John Ridgeway would be great. Another Terry Hampton would be great. Um, you know, Markel Utsi would be, you know, guys like that. Like you got to find some big physical strong dudes in the middle to be able to hold up for your linebackers to run free. So I think we got to get defensive tackle um, and, and, and offensive tackle. I think we've done well taking care of so far some of the secondary play. I think we'll probably still continue to attack that position. Um, but defensive defensive line's got to be an area of, of need just simply because we don't have a ton of guys there that you feel comfortable with that have been able to play college ball and have significant you know experience in production. You got to try to get some guys that were, you know, hopefully had some production in, in college already at this level or were, you know, developed really well in high school and they just haven't had their opportunity yet from a bigger school. Yeah. On the defensive line topic, I, I, I don't think you could have hit it more on the head. I agree. I was just looking at something and saw that, you, you know, it sucks that Jordan Dominic left. Apparently he's going to Ole Miss and that freaking yeah. sucks. I don't know why. I, I don't know how you look at a school like Ole Miss that doesn't have a history of producing defensive players in the NFL. And you're leaving a program in Arkansas that primarily has nothing but defensive linemen in the NFL. And the only thing you have to say is I just want to play. You just started the entire season. I don't know that, that you go from I, one bad defense to another. I mean, old miss wasn't very good at defense last year and he's going from Arkansas who didn't have a very good defense to another defense last year that was not very good in Oxford. So I, you know, I didn't know that he was rumored to go there, but that's not the greatest as of an hour ago. That doesn't make the most sense in the world. It's not, it's not public yet, but it's what uh, some people on the, on 24 <laughs> seven are saying and are pretty reliable. All right, so last question. I asked this to Ty a couple weeks ago. If you could have a drink with one former or current Arkansas coach of any sport, who would it be? You're sitting down at Ben's apartment to get a drink with any ball coach. Who is it? I think Bobby I know it's Petrino. A it's a tough I'd question. Like to just, I'd like to just pick Bobby Petrino's mind and just like – you could get him to open up. I mean, you know, if it's just you and him, like, I would just want to ask him what happened. Like, from start to finish, like, there's very few people in the world that probably know the whole story. And I don't necessarily think he's, like, the nicest guy or most, like, talkative guy in the world. But if you just want to sit down with one person, like, and just kind of pick their brain, not necessarily for advice, but to just be like, you know, what was your time like here? I would love to hear it from him. I mean, he was as high as you can possibly be in Arkansas. Like, 
winning football games. He was beloved by the fan base. Third-ranked um, team in the country, went to the Sugar Bowl. Actually, third-ranked yeah, I mean, team like, in the country was a year after we went to the Sugar Bowl. You can't get a whole lot higher than that. And so, sure. like, I just would like to know where the snowball got pushed off the mountain and started to kind of um, – you know, continue to, to, to form and get bigger in the wrong way. Like whenever he maybe started seeing this assistant and then it started to turn into this and then the motorcycle and then what actually happened, did you get like punched by this dude's or this girl's like husband or boyfriend, or did you hit your face on the pavement? Like, why did you decide to lie to Jeff Long? Like all of those questions that we really didn't get a true answer from in the fan base I would love to hear it from him. So I would want to sit down with him and just chat and learn all about that. Yeah. I mean, Joe, I, if we're being completely honest, you don't get in a motorcycle accident and all your face is hurt. I mean, the brother got, got the tar beat out of him by somebody. I mean, yeah. I mean, buddy got pieced up. He, he got that. He got the three piece from Mickey D's, but all right, Joe, another great segment from you. You're always welcome back on the show. I'm sure we'll see you some other time on the pod but yeah thanks for coming back on really appreciate really appreciate all the insight you gave us and bless us with so thanks for having me it's always a good time to talk all things Razorbacks so hopefully we finish out the uh this week in basketball strong and uh excited for the next uh conversation that we have yeah all right well Jesus Christ I've been fighting this dog this whole freaking time You should feel blessed, blessed, and highly favored to be on the show. All right. Welcoming back a, a familiar face, a, a, a Maverick bandwagon hopper, Mr. Aaron oh. Rosenthal, also known as uh. Beef. Starting off, the, starting off the segment hot. Aaron, what in the world is going on with Nick Smith Jr.? Is his knee hurt? Oh. The people want to know. First of all, I don't appreciate the bandwagon hopper comment. As you know, that's not true. Um, but, yes, he is hurt. I saw – I know a lot of people couldn't see the Literat game because it wasn't televised. I was there in person with my own two eyes, and he was limping very badly and was playing horribly on top of it. Um, I think he was like one for eight before his exit, something like that. And in my opinion, I think some Arkansas fans disagree uh, for whatever reason, he was not faking when that happened. So um, yes, I think he's hurt. I think there's truth to Rich Paul probably wanting him to uh, to hold out and so he doesn't mess anything up for the money that is to come in the NBA draft. Uh, so I think he's in his ear doing that and maybe his family too. I don't know. Um, but yes, I do not think he was faking when his uh, knee was injured. Yeah. It's just extremely unfortunate that it happened in the Litterock game that just so happened not to be televised. Uh, I, I yeah. don't really remember. Was it, was Zion Williamson represented by Rich Klein? Uh, Rich Paul. Uh, Rich Paul. I don't sorry. Know. I, I have no idea who his agent is. Okay. Yeah, because um, I, just, you know, I was go back to that example. I don't, I don't think Nick's <clears> hurt. I don't think a guy like him or really any kid that age that's a competitor would ever fake an injury. 
because that just doesn't make any sense, logical sense. If you actually think they do, then I don't know. You've worked that you've worked that solution up in your brain long before you actually knew what was going on. <clears throat> Granted, I think some people it angers some people because they don't know the extent of the injury. When you say right knee management, I mean that could be anything. That could be yeah. I think that's what people are mad about. I agree. I mean, I don't know. I think there's I think there's rumors about an MCL strain. I don't know if they're keeping it on the down low just to not worry any scouts or anything like that. Um, and they're just trying to downplay it for those reasons. Uh, I, I don't know the reason reasoning behind it, but I do know he was hurt. Um, and I, I don't know if when he does heal, if he does heal this season, if he will be back. Um, I think he wants to, I think all evidence uh, points to him being a diehard Razorback and him loving his teammates. And he had the tweet the other day and Kamani's tweet that they're all behind him. There's been rumors made up by Arkansas fans that he'll be a distraction from the team, which obviously isn't the case, uh, at least per Kamani Johnson. And so I think Arkansas fans and a lot of fans do this. They must have drama that isn't actually there. Um, but I don't think that guarantees that he's coming back. I, I, I don't, I do not know. I mean, maybe if he does get a hundred percent, um, he still decides not to. I think if he, if think if he does become a hundred percent, he will just, he will come back. I don't know what a hundred percent looks like. And I don't know if that is going to happen. Um, but I think he wants to be back. So, and I think there's truth to him needing to prove that to scouts. Yes. He's going to be a lottery pick no matter what, but if there's concern about his knee, he could still drop a few spots, whereas he was kind of unanimous, like four, like top five, like three to five to six around there before. If he drops late lottery, well, yeah, he's safe there or whatever. He, that's still millions of dollars over exactly. the course of the contract that he's losing out on. So that does matter, and I don't think people realize that. Um, and so if he is 100% and he knows it and his agents know that and the trainers know that, then I think there's truth to also him needing to come back to prove that for himself, not just because he wants to be a Razorback. Right. That part I've always said, like, there's such a small sample size of him playing, and, you know, you could relate it to the Kyrie Irving example, I guess, but he's not Kyrie Irving. And, you know, it's – it's. I think he could help us draft stock by coming back and playing. I also – which leads me to my next question. I think Nick Smith Jr., absolutely picks apart his zone, you know, because he's got the ability to shoot. He's got a good feel to an offense just in general. I feel like that guy more than anyone on our team understands probably how to beat a zone. If you just, because Oklahoma zoned us for like two possessions and we torched it immediately got out of it. So what do you mean to my next question? What what is the the immediate fix to our zone issues? Because we're going to get zoned by basically everyone. Obviously, the, the the I feel like the first answer is get the ball to the middle. But how do you combat a zone defense with being limited shooting the ball from beyond the arc offensively? That's just a question I feel like I just have in general. Yeah, I mean, I think the easy answer a lot of people will point to is like, well, you have to you have to shoot well, and I think that's true to some extent. Um, well, I mean, it's definitely true, but I think your question is because we can't shoot well, how do we beat it? And um, I don't think we can if we shoot as poorly as we did. Um, I I think there are ways to get around it some, and we missed so many layups and so many free throws. And so that's what I think is number one is 
if we make just a decent percentage of our layups and free throws, like a norm, what we would normally make, because I don't think it was a good representation of what how good this team is um, at Auburn. Like we just played bad on top of not being able to shoot. So even if we are not able to shoot, if you just make a normal percentage of uh, layups and free throws, it's a totally different ball game um, last Saturday. And so I think to a degree you have to be able to shoot you just have to make them honor it and i think that mainly falls on jordan walsh well everybody needs to be able to shoot and um, that would be huge if we were all making shots yada yada but jordan walsh playing poorly made us play two complete non-shooters pretty much two centers for the majority of the game um and that it is just going to clog the paint and we have two electric drivers at our guard spots um and ab and council they can get to the rim whenever they want but if they get into the rim with two non-shooters standing there and they no one has to worry about them on the perimeter then it then it's just going to be contested layups and out of control plays because there's a wall of giant men under the basket when they get to the rim and so I think Jordan Walsh has got to step up. And I think a few of his threes looked good and they just they didn't go his way. Uh, but he's like, I don't know, one for 13 or something like that. And SEC played from three. And I think the season falls on him in a lot of ways. He's so good on defense. And so he, he's going to get a chance. Um, but being able to play him at four and just one center, one non-shooter, essentially, um, it would be huge to be able to get to the rim. And um, I think we were able to get to the rim like if you were to ask how do you do that more consistently i think the ball screen up top um against mizzou was a great adjustment before we were just kind of throwing around the perimeter and hoping we could get it in the middle a little bit um but i think the ball screen up top was huge in allowing the ab and council to get in the lane and then the defense collapsed and we were able to kick out and make some plays from there um so i love the ball screen up top i don't think we did that enough uh, against Auburn, uh, screening the top man and allowing them to, to go get downhill quickly and then make plays. So I think that's number one. Uh, but then you got to make your free throws, obviously, and layups, which we just did not do. And if you're not going to make threes, you got to make you got to make free throws and layups. Um, so there's a lot of different answers there. But I think uh, being able to make those when you have the opportunity to, if you're not going to shoot well, is is number one. But I think to hit our absolute ceiling um, with the with the team that is currently out there, Jordan Walsh has got to be better, and he's got to be able to shoot it just a little bit, make people honor him out there to to clear up the lane and um, driving lanes. What the, what the crap? Sorry, Aaron, can you hear that? Yeah. What the? Okay. I apologize. I don't know what that was. I'm trying you to get that out. Back. Show your editing skills. God, I mean, <laughs> all right. So yeah, back to the to the free throws. I mean, the Auburn game, we were nineteen of thirty-two. I saw somewhere A and B was thirteen of sixteen from the foul line. The rest of the team, yeah. I think, was six of sixteen. I'm not saying we're going to go thirty-two for thirty-two from the foul line, but right. you throw about five to six more made free throws in there. I feel like what we normally shoot and then a few made layups and we win the game. Yeah. And I mean, the second half we were, we were tied with them essentially, even I, I mean, before fouling and stuff, we were probably winning the second half. 
And so it was all that first half and we just could not make a free throw or a layup and that changed the game. And um, I mean, they were mostly non-shooters going to the line, but you still can't do that. I don't know that whatever percentage you just said outside of AB is just simply unacceptable. And uh, some of those guys actually have some decent touch too, because, but yeah, if you don't, it's, it's too easy to guard when you can't, when you do get the opportunities under the rim and they they can just be physical with you and not worry about you making free throws. Like that's that you will not move in very many games doing that. Yeah. And then I think Auburn's zone was worse than Missouri's. I thought Missouri mixed up their zone so much. It was a lot better, but we were able to at least hit a couple of threes, get the ball to the middle and be able to capitalize when the ball was in the middle of the floor. And they, and they had respected to an extent. And, I also don't think Mizzou was just in very good shape as a basketball team because there was way too many possessions where it was – I mean, we were just getting a rebound off the glass and it was like four on three or five on four. So, well, that's – I think that's even the more important part. I mean, it's being – in the half court, how to beat a zone, I mean, that's going to be difficult for us. But I, I think we have ways to do it. And it's um, – you know, it's just you got to play better in the simple ways uh, than we did on, on Saturday. But if this team – is going to hit their ceiling. I think avoiding half-court offense as much as possible is the way to do it. This team is electric in transition and is very good at defense. And even after a make, you just got to push as fast as you possibly can and try to get cheap ones, which I think they can. And even if it's not, you know, a complete, you don't have all the numbers in the world on your fast break, still getting in the paint and making them scramble before their zone is completely sent as a huge advantage. So I think, I think that is going to be important to watch too, is, is trying to pick up the transition possessions, even if it's not uh, just an easy steal out on the break, but actually having it in the guards heads that well, we're pushing this ball no matter what. And then if they're back, then we start running some offense, but try to get any advantage you can so we can avoid the slow half court, which is just not our game. Yeah, it's definitely not our game. But I think tomorrow night, obviously playing against Alabama, I don't want to get into a track meet with that team. I mean, I, I have no problem with us pushing the ball down the floor, pushing the tempo, but – and I also don't want it to become a half-court game because <laughs> Alabama is great in transition in terms of hitting threes. I mean, they lead the league in most makes and most taken, and I think they shoot a pretty good percentage as well. And Yeah, that's, that's Nate Oates' ball right there. Yeah, it's a Mike D'Antoni type deal where, you know, two threes or layups, which I, I mean, I don't yeah. mind. I know we won't ever right. play that way. But to some Arkansas fans, the consistency of Eric Musselman's team is not being able to shoot the basketball can be frustrating to them. And I can see why they can be frustrated sometimes. I mean, we shoot 28% right yeah. now. But in order for us to hit our ceiling, which I don't know, our ceiling may be altered since Trayvon Brazil got hurt and due to Nick's injury, but depending on how, I guess, the season plays out, what would you say the ceiling is for this team to 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 look at this season and not consider it a failure? Would you – at first I would say Elite Eight. Now I'm leaning more towards Sweet 16. I don't want to be that guy, but I feel like it's just realistic right now. And I'll gladly be we're, wrong if they prove me otherwise. We're saying um, without – a return of Nick Smith, I assume. Uh, yes, without a return. The ceiling? Yes. Um, I would say the ceiling is probably getting back to where we were. 
the past couple of years. I don't think the talent is that much different. Um, in fact, it might be top, the top end talent might be better uh, this year, even without those guys. Uh, so I think it's still Elite Eight. It, it's just, it's so hard with March Madness being all about matchups and, and the ball bouncing your way sometimes. But I think, I think it's still Elite Eight, honestly. I, I, um, shooting hasn't been a part of this program since Musselman has taken over. And it's not like he's intentionally not doing shooters, but, reasons one through 10 that you're going to play for Musselman is because of your defense, your competitiveness, your, your just overall like continuity with the team. And so if you're, if you can just shoot the ball and do nothing else, you're just not going to play for him. And so um, we saw that with Jackson Robinson last year. So I, I don't think the talent level is that much different. Um, Obviously we're coming off playing poorly two out of three games, two, two out of three uh, games with losses. And so it's hard to say that right now, but this team just got thrown through a completely new loop that I wasn't expecting. And the all off season, they were um, preparing to run an offense through Nick Smith. And then Brazil was the thing that kind of unlocked everything. Obviously his athletic ability and his defense was great, but the fact that we could throw a big out there that could shoot consistently, just unlock the entire offense for spacing and everything um so they're adjusting on the fly which is very hard to do and while we were ahead of schedule i think most fans thought we were better most fans thought we would er lose earlier than we did um just based on the last two years and i don't think people would have freaked out that much but the fact that we kind of proved that wrong adjusted our expectations and now we're losing and so um i don't i don't think when it's all said and done we'll look back and think that the team that played on Saturday is, is our team for the rest of the year. And I think it can be a very similar postseason of the past two years, just from um, believing in must. And I think the talent level is probably better than the past two years. And the tournament's all about guards. And yep. we have one of the best guards in the country, guard duos in the country. Yeah. And then throw Nick Smith in there. And I don't know if there's a guard trio like that, but. No. You look at last year, this time last year, we were 0-3 and, and we just got blown out. No, we we had a we almost came back and beat Texas A&M, but we lost to Vandy at home. That was our only home loss last year, which is pretty wild to think about. But you look at We lost to Hofstra at home too, didn't we? That was in Little Rock. Oh, okay. And Bud Wong, gotcha. gotcha. Yeah. So, if – Depending on what happens with Alabama, the schedule does lighten up after that, I'd say. I know we go to Mizzou, then we got Ole Miss at home, then LSU at home, and then at Baylor. But in terms of the momentum for the rest of the season, I know it's easy to say this, but I think tomorrow night's game, we, we if we pull it out tomorrow night, which I very well think we can be just because we're playing at home, I don't think we're going to lose many games the rest of conference. If you can turn around after a game like Auburn, after that crappy performance, and you still only lost by 13, and you beat a team like Alabama, I don't see another game on the schedule that we could lose, if I'm being completely honest. Because honestly, which is unfortunate for us, Baylor doesn't look as good as they normally do. So if we yeah. – I don't know how valuable that win could seem anymore, but obviously a big win like that would be great. But tomorrow night, what would you say are the keys to victory – if you had to sum it, dumb it down to three main points that are either going to decide the game for us 
offensively, defensively, or just however you think the Hawks can get it done? What are the three ways? Um, so three ways. I'll say number one is make a decent amount of your layups and free throws. Facts. <laughs> seems, seems obvious, and I'm not saying make them all or anything like that, but uh, you're not, we're not going to, because of our limited three-point shooting, we're not going to win the game if we, if we shoot like that. We're not going to win any game. Um, we're not going to be Vandy shooting like that. Um, okay, maybe Vandy, but uh, so I mean, I don't know. Make make shoot make sixty five percent of your free throws. I'll say that um, we're going to be a high free, uh, free throw attempt team. That's what Musselman tries every year, especially with limited shooting. He wants to make sure we're a high free throw attempt team. Of course, he wants that to translate to makes too. But um, his reasoning for saying that is he just wants us to be aggressive and get to the foul line. Um, and so we have to get to the foul line and we have to make just a decent amount when we're there. And I think that's number one is I'll, I'll just say out get to the foul line and make 65% of them. Number two is when you were touching on their shooting um, and earlier when the high free throw or three point attempt and three point make team Alabama mm-hmm. that's NATO it's every year he's high high on analytics they shoot a ton of threes and then if it's not a three it's gonna go all the way to the rim and so I think getting them out of their comfort zone and I don't know a certain percentage um, that you need to shoot threes but I think running them off the three-point line and making them drive and shoot mid-range and even drive to the rim is fine um, obviously we don't want wide open layups but get them out of their comfort zone and don't let them just sh- have a shooting practice around the three-point line and, and shoot a bunch of threes. So um, limit three-point – I'll even say limit three-point attempts um, for our Alabama. They're good enough where they're going to make a lot of contested attempts. Um, their freshman Brandon Miller is a stud, and uh, he shoots a ton as well, and he's huge, so he can shoot over the top. So I think they're going to make a lot of contested threes. Um, Arkansas fans might be surprised about that if they haven't seen them play. So I think you just try to limit them as much as possible um on their on the three-point line and then the last one i'll just do an easy coach answer and say win the rebounding battle when um when especially kind of how we're playing um and breaking a lot from threes getting second chance opportunities are going to be so valuable and so winning the rebounding battle is going to be huge and then on defense when we do get the rebound i want to see us push more and i agree track track meet on the other end might not go um, well, but we have to get out in transition and, and limit it being a, a half court game for our offense. And so those are the three I'll say on the spot. Yeah. I think one of the glaring ones for me is who's going to guard is it Brandon Miller. Yeah. That's him. Yeah. Who yes. I, I assume we'll put Walsh on him, but if Walsh, yeah. if Walsh gets in foul trouble, do you throw a B on him? I don't know who else you, you throw at him. Yeah, I mean, that's. I definitely think Walsh is is the right answer first. Um, he's not like an isolation player. Like he's not. Um, he's not going to go break you, break a defender down and get past you. Um, he really wants to shoot the ball. He just he he loves. I think that's why he went to Alabama. He wants to he wants to shoot as many threes as possible, and he's very big. He can shoot over the top, and so. Um, it's almost a team thing. Um, if if we're given a wide open drives and having to help off him a ton, then um, he's going to shoot lights out. And 
he can hit he can actually hit pull-ups and and stuff too but um i think walsh is the definite answer and then yeah after him i don't i mean you would say brazil but you can't yeah. do that anymore so um i don't know who we do i i, I think again it's more of a, a team approach though and, and limiting just the open shots uh, making him run off the three-point line and he wants to shoot the three he'll yeah, shoot he, so many threes he shoots a great percentage i think he's 40 he's 43 percent from the field and 42 from the three-point line so Dude, i mean it's really insane. insane and he, he yeah. had 19 a game so I mean, yeah i i, I know Bama's got a player every year. It seems like they, you know, the past couple of years feel, feels like we, we've we had someone that's really talented. So have they. I mean, the Bama game is always going to be a close. It was close last year. I know in, 20, or in the 2020 season, we kind of blew them out once. They blew us out once. But tomorrow night, I really don't know what to expect tomorrow night. Um, it's 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 became a weird rivalry too the teams don't like each other i don't think oats and muscleman really like each other either even though they won't admit it but i don't i've don't. sent some tough vibes yeah i talked about it earlier in the episode i said that this is kind of a rivalry that you know and before must before nate oats we never viewed each other as a rival but now that both teams are top two of the top four teams of the sec both teams are have been within the top four seeds in the NCAA tournament, it's become that way. And, yeah. you know, they kind of clowned us whenever they beat us in 2020, whenever they run, ran us at their place. We did the same thing to them when they came here. And then, you know, last year's one-point game, and then there was a dispute about who should have been player of the year, Moses Moody or Herb Jones. So I feel like it's kind of built up over time. But yeah. I think if we pull Good it point. out tomorrow, I don't see many teams that we're going to lose to. I'm not saying – Yeah, I mean, I, I did the same thing as you and looked at the schedule – um and it's yeah it lightens up massively after this and so this would be great momentum going in at where we'd be favored in most of the upcoming games um if we do get it done i think if we don't though like last every both each of the last two years when we were playing poorly and then we started playing better and got on a run we didn't it's not like we beat one really good team and that vaulted the run. It was solely over time. We were playing better and better and winning games. And then we went on eight game winning streaks each of the last two years. Um, two years ago, I think it got up to like double digits. But um, I want to say the Auburn win was pretty early on in that win streak last year. But I don't think it's the end of the losing. Yeah, I think we you you almost need some of those lesser teams to kind of figure out yourself a little bit. And it doesn't mean like, oh, you're only better than them. It just means that you're finding your feet a little bit and you're you're getting better and better so that you can peak at the right time at the end of the year, which we need because the end of the schedule is is pretty rough. So yeah, I don't think turning, it's the end of the world. The, the turning point in the season, we I remember we killed – we beat Mizzou by like 40 last year, and then we went to 12th-ranked LSU and beat them. Close win against South Carolina, close win against – we had, we kind of had some cupcakes. We had – one, two, three, yeah, four, exactly. Six unranked teams until we played Auburn after we beat LSU. Okay, yeah, I was thinking of the LSU game that was early on. Yeah, so I like that's what I mean. Like, it's okay if we don't. I of course would love to beat Alabama and be a huge resume win. Um, if but it, it, sometimes if if we're just beating up on some smaller teams, like that's kind of what you need to kind of find yourself and and um and what works best for you as we're trying to adjust on the fly. And you never know, maybe we get Nick back, but I won't count on it. Right. Yeah. So just 
in terms of, let's see the, the, uh, shoot, I just had a thought and it, it slipped my mind. Let's see. Let's, about to freaking ask. Oh, okay. <laughs> so Texas coach, obviously Chris Beer being gone. If you're Texas, you're the AD. Who's your third? Who's the first call you make? Um, well, it would be Eric Musselman. Um, but he, he better not entertain that. Or he might entertain to get a raise, which he, he should do. Um, but I think that Calipari might be the move. Um, whether they should or not, he is getting roasted by Kentucky fans. They're fed up the past two years. And I don't know if they have the balls to fire him or not. Um, but if there's a situation where it's like a best for both parties to move on, because Kentucky's going to get some top coach, uh, I think that would be very, very interesting to see if he'd be uh, entertaining a change of scenery. And I think any program, just based on reputation, would take and the players you would get would take Coach Calipari, despite the last few years. Um, so I think you have to talk to him and just see, feel it out, see how that situation is going. Um, but he would be my second call after Eric Musselman. Yeah, and with with Muss, I feel like any coach that embodies that program after what went on, it's going to be tough to do. It's kind of an identity. Uh, it's kind of a. I don't know. It, it might take a hit to your reputa- reputation in the eyes of some people. But speaking of Kentucky, they're losing South Carolina as we speak. That's and all that. Amazing. They're 20 point they, favorites. I did not know that they were 10 and 5 as well. That's bad. If I'm Texas, though, my first call, I know it'd be hard to do, but I'd call Mark Few. I know it's hard for, it'd probably be hard to lure him away from the West Coast where he has it very, very easy until the NCAA tournament. He can recruit the entire state of California. But I just feel like – I don't know if, if he'll be a lifer at Gonzaga, but I just feel like he'd be someone good to look at. And Cal yeah, Park, they got to buy him out. I think it's $14 million. I think he's the highest buyout in basketball. Yeah. Well, um, that would be interesting. Mark Few – I mean, every program wants Mark Few. What would be even – what would be – I would say more likely is if uh, Texas lured Calipari away, which I agree is probably not going to happen, few to Kentucky. That'd be interesting. But the other, um, <laughs> the other, suck. the other obvious name is Nate Oates. You got to give him a call too. He's a stud, unfortunately. Do you call Brad Stevens? You get him away from the Celtics? No, I think he's enjoying his management role. I wouldn't want to deal with. Yeah, and th- another point about Musk, Joey actually brought it up in the last episode. He said that Texas – or in the, just the state of Texas and with their athletic department, basketball doesn't hold near as much value as compared to their football program, whereas at Arkansas they're, they're basically similar, I'd say. You know, yeah, you got some people that care more about basketball and football and vice versa, but a championship in basketball would be just as valuable in the, in the eyes of Arkansas fans as one in football. I don't think you could say the same for Texas. So, yeah, I mean, I don't really want to agree with Joey, so I'm going to hold off. I wouldn't want to either, but the guy kind of <laughs> – I'm kidding. Uh, I think – I don't – I mean, look at the history of their program. Like, it's not a better program. They just have a ton of money. And so, I don't – there's no way Musk would leave because he thinks his 
a better program or anything like that. There's nothing luring him to Texas. That's not home for him. Anything like that. It, it would just be if they got paid a material amount more than Arkansas. And I don't really see that happening because um, I think we would put up the money to to um, keep him. But yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't think Musk would look at it as even an equivalent program. I think he loves it here. Um, and I, I think he there's nothing drawing him there. So it would just be a, a ton of money that would have to bring him over there. So I don't see it happening. I, I would, I'd be way more nervous if it was out in California, but I'm yeah, not. I completely agree. All right. Last two questions. Then we'll let you go. So tomorrow night, I don't know what the spread is, but are you taking it? I'm sure we're dogs. I think it's a pick'em or something around well, you that. Some money. You hit. Are you are you going money on? I mean, if it's a pick'em, I guess it doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, sure, I'll do it. Yeah, uh, I'm Just curious on. Um, I honestly think the under is the play because both defen- both teams are so good defensively that I could see it being more of a defensive game than anyone expects. But I don't know. Right I'll- when right when team people. Maybe this is too early that people would even doubt Musk, so maybe we need to lose a couple other ones. But right when people are doubting Musk the most is when he turns it on and goes off. And so uh, there's a lot of doubt right now about him and the team and the program. Um, and so I could easily see him just shutting everybody up tomorrow night. Uh, like, now, have you not learned? Like, the, the last two effing years – we started at zero and three in conference play and got ran by teams. Like, <laughs> ran, we lost yeah. to effing Vandy at home last year. Oh, this is different. off seven in a row. I mean, just give the man some time. He has a new team every year. Good Lord, I, I know it. Sure, no one likes losing, but there's a reason why we play so many daggum conference games. You and know, this isn't a new year, team. This is a new team mid-year with all the changes. Like it. it completely different team than the one we he went through all off season and all preseason with and the first, you know, handful of games. So uh he's not just trying to figure things out from a year ago or from the team. He's having to figure things out based on changes, huge, huge material changes this in mid season. And so I I will be worried in March if we're still playing this bad. Until then, I'm not worried. And we've done enough to where we don't have to, like, we're not 100th in net like we were this time last year. Like, we're we're, we're a top 15 team in the country. And so we, we have some room to – we don't have to go on another 10-game win streak to try to salvage the season. Yeah, and, and I just thought about some – I don't know if this is right or not, but I think this – the entire team, fully healthy – has played one half of basketball together with Nick and Trevin. Like that's a regular season game. I think it was the UNC Greensboro game. They played a half together, and then <laughs> Trevin tore his ACL. So yeah, nothing's really gone according to plan, which which sucks. But I feel like if there's any coach that can roll with the punches with the cards he's given, it's it's Musselman. So yeah. the, you started off. I mean, it's not like this is a second year and we don't know. I mean, he's done this two years in a row you know i mean you don't you don't just get lucky and get to back-to-back elite eight with two brand new teams but all right last question if you if you could sit down at ben's apartment with any 
former or current Arkansas coach to have a drink, who would it be? Mm, okay. Interesting question. To have a drink. Uh, I have one you might not – you might be surprised by. Who? Brett Bielema. Oh, my God. <laughs> I would Why? love to have a drink with Bert. <laughs> Why? Because you would we have a great time. He'd drink you under a table. Yeah, we would have a great time. And he can tell some stories about his Vegas trips. And he's kind of funny. Um, now, I'm kind of mad about how he left our uh, the roster. Um when he left the pro, when we fired him, but uh, I would have, I, I think that would be the most fun. I wouldn't ask him one thing about football. We would just hang out. I think I'd pick Jimmy Smith. It's probably okay. not, the, probably not the popular answer. Some people probably don't even know who Jimmy is, but it seemed like Jimmy would be the type of guy to kick. It'd be cool to kick it with. He'd probably give it. He'd probably just tell me straight up at who he did or didn't like on the team. And I could respect <laughs> it, but. All right, beef. Uh, I have a okay. Two things. Um, I have a uh, a more serious uh, answer, and I think uh, I would love. And when he was, if this was the '90s, when he was fresh off coaching or fresh during while he was coaching, remember early 2000s, I would uh, I would have chosen Nolan Richardson. Oh yeah. Um, I think that would be awesome, and. It would be cool because he, Glory Rhodes, one of my favorite movies. And while he wasn't on that Texas Western team, he played, I think, right after that. And so to kind of be, to pick his brain on what actually happened and what the times were like back then playing college basketball. Uh, I didn't know that. that would be, would be cool. Yeah, he played for that university, the same university in Glory Road. Wow. Um, for the same for the same coach, Don Askin. Um, okay, now I want to flip the script if we have time. I got Go some questions. It. Flip it. Okay, there's like uh, I'll I'll start with a actual one, and then I have two uh, different ones. First one is at the end of next football season. I told you Sam Pittman was fired. Okay. What is the maximum amount of games that we won? So, what essentially like if he has to go, what to not be fired next year? Hold on, Aaron. Give me one second. My dog's destroying something. <laughs> Catch. Stop. No. If you're not going to cut this part, you can tell the listeners that Catch uh, pooped in my house God. during football season. He did. I know. <laughs> okay. So, okay. So, what is Pittman's fired. What is okay. how many games did he win? Or how many games is another way to phrase it? How many games does he have to win to not be fired? To not be fired. I think if he goes six and six. Uh, it's God. I hate that I'm saying. If he goes five and seven or six and six, I think he's really on it. Like people are going to start to murmur. If he's seven and five, I think he's good. If he's eight and four, he's clearly off the hot seat. If he's nine and three, celebrate. So I'd say, I'd say five. I'm not saying hot. Yeah, he's fired. Okay, five wins. I think that's fair. Yeah, if, he, if we go five and ten with next year's cupcake non-conference schedule, I think yeah. he's done. Yeah, 
Because that doesn't mean that we just like got unlucky and played poorly a couple of times and had some injury. Like that means there's serious problems going on. And so I think that's fair. Um, okay, I'll, I'll I'll reverse it and throw it back at you. Okay, sorry. If, if, if Pittman's fired, is there a good chance Browse is the head coach and waiting? I say yes. Uh, I think so, but my my nerves is if he's doing that well in his job. How are, how are we so bad that Pittman is fired? So, like, that's why I kind of hesitant. I think it's more likely that, like, if Pittman wants to be done soon in the next few years or whatever, then he takes over. Um, but unless the defense is just that bad to where our offense is putting up points, making clutch plays or whatever, and he, he seems to be doing well, um, it's hard to imagine. I mean – I don't know his, the history of that well, but I don't know very many times there's been a coach fired and then the OC took over the program. So I think it's more likely he retires, like a, like a Lincoln Riley situation or a Ryan Day situation. Not saying he's those guys, but I think that's uh, more likely than than if he's fired this year because I think that means there's probably problems on that side of the ball as well. Yeah, yeah, that's true. What do you think it is? You think it's five wins? Yeah, I I think six wins, he's on the hot seat. Eight, I mean, six, if there's six and there's like cancers again and leading the country in transfers again, I think it's possible it could happen. It just depends on the vibe. Um, so I think six is, it could be possible. Um, I'd still doubt it though. So I would say five or less. Um, people are still not going to be happy with seven. And I think he's on the hot seat with six or seven. And then I think he's completely fine above that. Yeah, and I don't. I don't want to do it. I'm not going to predict our win loss yet, just because I I don't want to put that type of stress on myself. <laughs> but yeah, we need we need to figure out who all of our transfers are too. It's very important. Yeah, no, I agree. But Before I'd say five. Five's my answer. Okay, I think I agree. Unfortunately, um, okay. Uh, two more questions. Next one is scale of one to ten. How bad do the Jets suck as a franchise? Oh, oh, oh. oh can't you hear this shit? Is I mean, no, okay, all right. You know what? This is from the heart. All right, <laughs> the Jets haven't had a winning season since 2014. We went ten. You know, there's people winning divisions at eight and nine. We went ten and six and didn't make the effing wild card. That is the worst luck of all time. But in, in reality, this team is a quarterback away, and we've been we we, we our, our quarterback development is I mean it blows it's it is so bad I mean freaking Sam Darnold goes to, not that he's even that great in Carolina but he, at least he looked promising he had a chance to make a playoff he didn't see any ghost it, Zach Wilson was a terrible pick. I know I supported him, and I was wrong. <laughs> I was so wrong because he is ass. Mike White, <laughs> great guy, but he didn't throw a touchdown for a month. He's also ass. Joe Flacco was old. Chris Strebler, the fact that we're even lobbying for our four-string quarterback to get reps is so concerning. It does. It's beyond me. Garrett Wilson had 1,100 yards receiving this season off of four quarterbacks. Get that guy a normal quarterback, he's going to be a top receiver in the league. But book it right now. 
Derek Carr, I, I, I don't even know if I want to be a quarterback, but he might be our quarterback. We're going to trade for DeAndre Hopkins, and we're going to the playoffs next year. You you heard it here first. But in terms oh, of God. scale one to ten over the last, oh, God, I don't know, 11 years, I'd say a three. I mean, we're, we're pretty bad. Uh, okay, so one one being maximum suck, you're a three? No, I'm up it to a six. Wait, wait, what? <laughs> I mean, we took a mass. I mean, if we stay on the trend that we're at, we're winning 10 games next year. Oh, gross. I regret asking this question. Cycle uh, suck. I, I can convince Middle myself kiss. easily. Uh, All right, okay. last question. Uh, last question. Last okay. question. So just a yes or no question, Okay. Okay. Let me finish before you I'm say yes. My answer no. to a four. Okay. All right. All right. This is just a yes or no question. Let me finish the question before you say anything. Throw up. Do you remember the last NBA playoffs that happened when my Mavs beat your Utah Jazz in six games and sent your franchise into a dumpster fire where they sold all their good players and are trying to tank because we ruined their entire franchise. I'm a being I'm being attacked on my own platform. I haven't done a pod in 30 days. Uh, I just didn't know if you remembered. I was genuinely curious. I didn't know. Riding sure. into my horseback or my into my village, into my favela and killing me. I mean, it's just terrible. Yes. Luca Luca Polika Felika Doncic and Jalen Brunson. Jalen Brunson, I mean we got that guy a new contract. We are the reason yeah. he is in New York and got paid yeah. money. Because, yeah. yes, Rudy Gobert gave the whole league COVID. Yes, he sucks. Yes, he got boomed on by Dinwiddie, whose entire salary, I believe, is in Bitcoin. That's probably <laughs> failing miserably. But, what, oh, God. I mean, it, it really sucks seeing Spida go to Cleveland. It, you can't tell me that Cleveland – Ohio is a better place to live than Utah. I mean, come on. It's Cleveland. The place smells like poo. I mean, that, we trade away Bogdanovich, and we kept Clarkson, who, by the way, Clarkson is a dog. I don't think he wants to be a a part of the Jazz anymore. He just tries to fight everybody. But we're going to be bad for a while. I know we have a lot of picks. That didn't mean anything. I mean – yeah. Okay. Well, that's good. That answered my question. Yes, you remembered it. That's how I was curious. Uh, yes. I just, yes. Didn't, I just didn't know if you forgot. So. We got lucky in one game. For a team that, <laughs> it, you know, lives off shooting threes, I think we shot a percentage of like 27% in the in, in the entirety of the series. Yeah. Well, you're a, you're, your professional teams are pretty good. I won't even ask about like the Cardinals in the playoffs. I flipped the but... script about the Texans, Aaron. Oh, oh, I'm going to live there and be a fan. Oh, <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Uh, well, it was a pleasure. Let's do it again soon. And uh, let's, uh, let's beat, let's beat Bama. What do you say? All right, beef. Well, let's beat Bama.